As you're being seated, um, just want to encourage you, invite you to turn in, in your Bibles or bring it up on a device, the book of Acts. Acts chapter 2 is where we're going to be this morning. Uh, if we haven't had the chance to meet, my name is Tom O'Connell. I serve here at Hope Church as a senior pastor. I'm just thrilled uh, you're here. If you have questions about our church, I'd love to answer them. I'll be uh, kind of out those doors in the or lobby area right out there. Love to talk with you, answer questions, uh, help you understand more about who we are, our ministries, what we do, um, but just love to talk with you. So I'm um, just going to give you a moment to get to Acts. Chapter 2, Acts is in the New Testament. Uh, it's the fifth book, um, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then you run into the book of Acts. I want to let you know, as you turn there, where we're going uh, starting next week, and we're going to do uh, four weeks on this topic, but we're going to um, move into a series next week called Uncomfortable. Um, I don't know about you, but I tend to avoid things that are uncomfortable. I, am a, I, I love comfort. I'm a creature of habit, uh, and I'm sure there's some of you that are like me uh, here today. We, 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 we try to move away from, avoid, uh, try to forget about, stick our heads in the sand, things, topics that are uncomfortable. Um, but I believe we know the, the reality is many of those uncomfortable things, topics, themes, issues, we need to talk about. And so what we're going to do starting next week and for four weeks, we're going to talk about um, what I would consider maybe some uncomfortable topics that need to be talked about. Uh, we need to understand what does the Bible say about some of these topics. And a few of them are just even based on kind of how the calendar uh, falls. So uh, in a few weeks is Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. A day. Uh, it's actually his birthday this year, falls on his birthday, uh, January 15th. And uh, I found this even startling just to even think about. It. It's been 50 years this year since he's been assassinated. Uh, 50 years. And so um, next Sunday, we're going to delve into the topic. We've talked about it before here at Hope Church. We're going to talk about racism. Um, it's important for us to talk about it continually from a biblical perspective. Um, so we're going to delve into that um, next week. The week after that, is Sanctity of Life Sunday, uh, January 21st, and we're going to talk about the sanctity of life. Um, what, what do we believe about the sanctity of life, of all life, uh, from the womb to the tomb? We kind of like to use that phrase. Uh, what do we believe about the sanctity of life? The week after that, we're going to move into the topic of sexual harassment, um, something that uh, continually is being talked about in, in news stories, in, I'm sure, workplaces. Uh, maybe you're talking about it in your home as you read headlines, and it's continually is coming to the surface. And, and I think it's, it's a microcosm. We talked about this before of a larger issue. Um, so we're going to delve into that. And then the week after, uh, we're going to move into the topic of money. Uh, as Jeff uh, made the announcements, money, we're thinking about money this time of year, beginning of the year, budgets and those types of things. So we're going to delve into that. But that's kind of where we're going. Just four uh, not simple, not exhaustive sermons by any stretch of the imagination. I do uh, ask for your prayers as um, just developing those. There's a lot of different ways we can go. But uh, I think these are important topics, as uncomfortable as they are. These are important topics that we have to keep talking about. Um, as especially as followers of Jesus. So that's where we're going. But hopefully by now uh, you have Acts chapter 2. And if you don't have a Bible in front of you or on a device, the scriptures will be up on the screen so you can follow along with us. But we're just, uh, just a few weeks uh, removed from Christmas, so maybe, uh, maybe you're still thinking or using the gifts you got. Kids, maybe you're still using the gifts uh, that you received. Maybe you've returned all the gifts you got and uh, picked stuff you liked. I don't know. Uh, but as I think about Christmas, Christmases in the past, when I was uh, young growing up, uh, there's one that really stands out to me, one gift, unexpected gift that I received that I was really not anticipating, and it was a Nintendo. The original Nintendo NES, some of you had this, still have this, I actually talked to a guy on the way, he still has one and uses one, um, but I remember I'd asked for it, but honestly I was like, no, mom and dad are not going to give me a Nintendo for Christmas, and sure enough, last gift I opened, there it is, and I played that system, that Nintendo system, uh, Super Mario Brothers and Duck Hunt, until uh, I think my fingers were bleeding, I was playing it uh, so much. I had an experience even just this past, just a few weeks ago before Christmas, uh, I went to GameStop stop here in Brunswick to pick up a game for one of our boys. And um, I was talking, the, uh, I was getting the game and the young lady behind the counter and, and there sure was, there was an NES, a Nintendo right behind the counter. And I said, oh, I had one of those. I, I remember getting one of those. And she looked back at it and she said, you know what? Those came out so long ago. And I was like, 
I'm just going to take my item and I'm leaving now. Thank you very much. It's uh, one of those moments that you realize you are getting uh, older. But the great thing, there was a lot of cool things. Obviously, technology has advanced greatly um, since the Nintendo NES came out. But one of the things I loved, because I was never good, still not good. My kids beat me continually on video games. Uh, but one of the things I loved about the vid this video game system in particular was if you weren't doing well uh, at whatever game you were playing, Super Mario Brothers, Duck Hunt, whatever it might have been, you were playing that day, there was this great little button to the right. It was called Reset. And you just kind of started again. It didn't matter how well you were doing. If it was bad, you just hit that button and it reset everything and you started all over again. There's something nice about resetting, isn't there? And, and, and this time of year, the first, the into, as we finish a year, as we move into a new year, these weeks, these early days of a new year provide an opportunity, unlike any other time on our calendar, to reset, to think about what is our year going to look like? What are we going to do? What are we going to be about? What are going to be the priorities? Now, unlike any other time, uh, we are setting goals. We're setting resolutions. Health memberships at fitness centers are off the charts uh, right now. There's, you're thinking about personal development in your field or what you do. You're thinking about how can I get better at what I do. Maybe some of you like to develop um, a list of books that you want to read during this new year. These are the books I want to read at one a month. Or I've even heard some people read uh, one a week. I mean, just, just these are the books. These are the things I want to learn. Uh, we talk about finances. Some are setting new financial goals. This is what we want to save, what we want to give, what we want to uh, pay towards uh, our kids' college or retirement or whatever it might be. We're resetting so many areas of our lives. And what I want to be an advocate for today is for you and I to think about our walk with God. As we think about setting goals and plans for many areas of our lives, aspects, phases of our lives, what about our walk with God in this new year? And what I want to be an advocate of and a voice for today is developing an intentional plan to develop our spiritual lives during 2018. As we begin a year, first Sunday of 2018, to think about developing an intentional plan to develop our spiritual lives during this new year. How are we going to grow as followers of Jesus? I don't think it just haphazardly happens. I think it takes intentionality. And I, that's why I strategically put that word, that intentional plan. That, that we'd even take time to write it down, whether it's handwritten notes or on your phone or on your computer or on a device, something that you look at regularly to say, this, this is how I'm planning to grow spiritually this year. These are the practices. These are the habits. This is the, the rhythms I'm going to bring into my life in 2018. It's a blank slate. I, I get to start again. I get to do new things. I get to venture into new uh, maybe practices that I haven't done before. But what will be the intentional plan for us to grow. This, this idea is not a new idea by any stretch of the imagination. Followers of Jesus have been doing this really since the beginning, this idea of intentionality and this plan. There was even a time in the third and fifth centuries where communities of faith were gathering around what was called then a rule of life. And the idea was these communities of faith were gathering together and they'd set rules, they'd set practices, they'd set a rhythm of their community around work, and prayer and studying the scriptures. How, what is this community going to be shaped by? Now, some of us, when we hear the word rule, there's something in us that just like, oh, I don't like that. I don't like rules. I don't like, that feels too restrictive. That feels like I'm going to be handcuffed. That, maybe you might even say it feels legalistic. We think about the idea. But let me, let me help you understand even the, the, the meaning of this word rule. It's actually the, the ancient Greek word for trellis. You're familiar with a trellis. Maybe you have uh, some plants or, or vines that grow uh, in your yard, backyard garden that need a trellis, that need a structure. The vines need something to grow up. And that's the meaning of the word rule. It's a trellis. It's a structure that allows us, that allows the, the vines and the vineyard to grow up 
and you think about in a spiritual context, there are, it's a structure, there are practices that we are going to build into our lives. We're going to be intentional about building into our lives to help us grow upwards, to grow spiritually. Some have described it as the exterior framework for an interior journey. It's, it's what we do outwardly to produce an inward change. Again, some maybe don't like the word rule. There's a few others that have described this, this process of planning. One, uh, Dallas Willard describes it as a curriculum in Christ-likeness. What is going to be our curriculum? What is going to be our plan to grow in to the image of Jesus Christ? Another pastor calls it the game plan for morphing. The idea of change and transformation. What is our game plan? As, as teams put together game plans for the game they're going to play, they strategize. How are we going to come at this defense or this offense? What is our game plan for what we're going to do on the field? And that's kind of what we're doing as followers of Jesus here at the beginning of this new year. What is our game plan in 2018 to grow as followers of Jesus. What I want to do today is pretty simple. I want to just kind of show you this in Scripture, that it's not something new or that Hope Church came up with, but I think it's anchored in the Word of God, and I want to see it in action. And then I want us to, this is something we just don't talk about, but I'm going to give us at the end four questions uh, to think about our plan, your plan, my plan. Just four questions. We could have a lot more questions, but just want to narrow it down to four. And it'll give you just a few moments before we leave here to begin thinking about that plan. So Acts chapter 2, let me set the context. Um, uh, as we jump into Acts chapter 2, some of you are well aware of what's happened or is happening in Acts chapter 2. Some of you, it's your first time ever reading uh, the book of Acts. And so what's taken place is um, Jesus uh, has uh, died on the cross. He rose again. And based on Acts chapter 1, we're told he was with his disciples for a period of 40 days after he rose from the dead. Then he ascended back to the Father, and before he left, his disciples, he said, stay in Jerusalem, don't leave until the gift that I promised that my Father said was coming, the Holy Spirit comes. So stay in Jerusalem, and that's what the disciples do. So um, the, the context of Acts chapter 2 is a feast. It's a celebration of the harvest. It's called Pentecost. And this was one of the feasts that Jews were instructed to make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem, Passover being one of the other ones. And, and so now 50 days after Passover, um, the G, uh, Jesus' disciples and many other Jews from all around have traveled to Jerusalem to celebrate this feast. So, so Jerusalem would swell in population during the feasts, this being one of them. So it's the day of Pentecost, the disciples are gathered in an upper room, and all of a sudden there's the sound of like a rushing wind or a violent wind. Some of you, I've never been around a tornado, um, some of you maybe have, but that rushing, violent, you, it sounds like a locomotive, like a train coming that sound is just permeating uh, through Jerusalem. So that, that draws a crowd. It's like, where'd that come from? I mean, so it's just constantly going. So all these people now are trying to find this. They're trying to find the source. They're going. And at the same time, what, is, what it tells us in Acts 2 is what appears like tongues of fire appear over the heads of the disciples and they begin speaking in other languages that they usually don't speak. So all these people in Jerusalem, all these uh, pilgrims, so to speak, that have traveled to Jerusalem are trying to figure out what's happening. And now they've come to these, these men who are speaking in languages that they understand, but they're like, wait a minute. How can you speak that language? You're from Galilee. How, do you, how are you fluent in my language? And, and, and what, they, what they, um, they begin to make fun of them. The crowd begins to make fun of them and mock them. And they also say they're drunk. They've had a little bit too much to drink. And Peter, being one of the disciples, stands up and he, he speaks. And first he lets them know we're not drunk. <laughs> he says, it's only nine in the morning. He lets them know we're not drunk. We have been drinking. It's just nine in the morning. But what you are seeing and what you're hearing is, is fulfillment of what the prophet Joel said hundreds of years before about the Holy Spirit being poured out not just on some, but on all people. Men, women, sons, daughters, all people servants, all people. 
And Peter speaks this message and some really um, want to hear more and they say, what, do we, what should we do in response to what you said, Peter? And Peter says, repent and be baptized. And what we're told towards the end of Acts chapter 2 is that some 3,000 people respond to Peter's message. And, and so now you have, you're going from a small group of disciples to now roughly over 3,000 of them. Now you have this group of followers of Jesus in Jerusalem. And the verses we're going to look at is basically Luke, who wrote Acts, is kind of a summary of their life. Like, what did they do? What did they do? Now as followers of Jesus, what were their practices? What were the rhythms? What were they committed to? And we find here in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it says this, describing the group of people there, the followers of Jesus in Jerusalem, they, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. The sense, we'll get into the practices in a moment, but I first want to help us see and point out the attitude. They devoted themselves. The idea there is persisting in something with a stubborn attitude. They constantly did these things. This wasn't just a one time or one week. But this was something these followers of Jesus in Jerusalem now beginning to share their lives together. These are the things, the practices, the rhythm of their days, the rhythm of their life, what they were committed to. And I want to encourage us again that we, like them, develop a, a, like a stubbornness in a good way to say this is going to be the plan. These are the things I'm going to do over and over and over and over again. They were committed to it. And you can kind of break their practices down into just two categories. We'll talk about first the relationship with God and then the relationship with people. But let's first unpack how the practices that related to their relationship with God. It says first, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So the apostles were the disciples and, and they were the ones that Jesus uh, led and they watched the miracles and they heard the teaching and they were the ones that Jesus was with the last uh, 40 days before he went back to heaven to be with his father. And so these are, the, these are the men, the people that he poured his life into. They heard things and saw things even that some others didn't. So, so now you have this group of people that is, that is wanting to learn. Now we don't know exactly. Luke writes in a summary fashion here in Acts chapter 2, but so we don't get, they said this and they said this, like a, some of us will on a bullet point, like what were they teaching about? And, but we don't have that here in, in, in the book of Acts, but I think we can get a sense that they shared as much as they could based on the Holy Spirit now being upon them, reminding them of what Jesus had already taught them, what Jesus had said. These people are now teaching these new followers of Jesus as much as they could remember. And I think the heart or the emphasis here is that these people had a hunger to learn more about who God was. They're continually coming to the apostles. You were the ones that were with him. Tell us what you know. Tell us what he said. Tell us what he did. Tell us how he talked about the Old Testament. Talk to us about those things. And continually there was this attitude to learn, to grow in knowledge of who God was. And that knowledge led to action. It wasn't just information. We'll talk about the action uh, in a moment. So, so we have first, they devoted themselves to learning, the lear learning from the teaching of the apostles, to the fellowship. We'll come back to these two, the fellowship and breaking of bread, as we think about relationships with people, and to prayer, or a more literal reading of Acts chapter 2, verse 42, is to the prayers. And what I believe that is conveying is both a, a sense of schedule or rhythm of prayer, like it's set, and spontaneity. That it's just something you do every day, different times, with different people. It spontaneously happens. It's both and. So when I say the prayers, there is, there's this sense that in the first century here, there was a rhythm to the times of prayer during the day in Jerusalem. That, 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 that people would stop at different points, usually morning, afternoon, evening, to stop and pray. It was scheduled. It was on the calendar. It was on the clock, so to speak. And even you get a sense of it in the next chapter of Acts. We don't have this verse. We won't have this verse up on the screen. But it says in chapter 3, verse 1, 
One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer. They're going to the temple. It was the time of prayer. And on the way is this, this uh, beggar on the side of the road who's asking for money. They don't give him money, but what they give him is healing. <laughs> and they say, get up and walk. And he gets up and, and that causes quite a stir. And Peter and John get arrested for it. Um, but they're on their way to the temple at the time of prayer. Daniel in the Old Testament, we're told, prayed three times a day as was his custom. There was a rhythm. That's how they knew how to trap him in Daniel because they knew he'd be praying at this time. There was a rhythm to it. And, and what I would encourage us as we think about the rhythms of our day, it's maybe good. Some of us might even want to think about, think about prayer to maybe even set rhythms. Maybe there's times, morning, afternoon, evening, or days during the week, or, but there's a schedule to it. But then there's also this spontaneity. And as you read through the whole book of Acts, there was different points that they would just stop and pray. Even earlier, it says they constantly were in prayer. It wasn't just one time, but it was just constantly throughout their days. They stopped and they prayed. I wonder too, I'm sure they were remembering what Jesus or how Jesus taught them to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name and you know the Lord's prayer. They were reminded about the relationship, the opportunity to connect with God our Father through prayer. As, you under, as we unpack the practices, there was the relationship with God and there was the relationships with people. It wasn't just about God and being with God, but there was also this connectedness to other people. As we think about our plans, as we think about growing spiritually, we can't just think about the practices as it relates to our relationship with God. We at the same time have to think, how, I, how do I connect relationally with people? Because we need both. We're to love God and love people. So what does it look like? How did they connect relationally with others, with other people? And then verse 42, again, it says they devoted themselves. So that consistency, that, that stubbornness, that this is what we're going to do uh, to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. The, the word there for fellowship is kononia. Maybe you've heard that word before. And it's simply the idea of sharing that they're sharing their lives with other people. And it's not just sharing their lives, but they're opening their homes to people. They're saying, come on over for a meal. Come into our home. They're, they're offering hospitality to one another. There's also this, and we'll talk about it in a moment, there's sharing of their stuff. That God was so working in their lives that they said, you know what, there's a need. I have this piece of property I could sell. I'll sell it and give you the money. And they're sharing, literally sharing their lives, their stuff with people. They're committed to relationships, walking with each other. And then there's also embedded in this, it says, to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread. Now, let me just let you know, there's great debate among biblical scholars, Bible scholars. Is this, when it talks about breaking of bread, are we talking about just eating meals together? Like sharing a, a, a dinner together, lunch together, breakfast together? Or are we talking about communion? Are they breaking bread? Are they having the Lord's Supper together? Uh, the Eucharist, maybe that's more familiar uh, to you today. Are, are they doing that or is it just eating together? And, and I'm not going to try to... Um, there's just debate. We'll just say that. And where I'm landing on it, and I don't think it's taking the easy road, uh, but I want to say it's both and. That it's both and. And the, and the reason I land there is you think about breaking bread, breaking the bread together, is that when you understand the context of a meal in the first century, that when they would gather in a home together, most of the time, if not all the time, the beginning of the meal, they would literally break bread. It wasn't just an expression. Like, we're going to break bread together, let's eat a steak. <laughs> Although I'm all for steak. Um, but they would literally take bread and break it together. And many times as they broke the bread together, there was a, a blessing that they would recite to each other. And you have to believe, I have to believe, that as they are bra literally breaking the bread, they are remembering 
an event, the Passover meal that the apostles have talked about, what Jesus did that night, how when Jesus took these normal elements of a meal, bread and cup, and gave them a whole new meaning on the night he was betrayed. You have to believe, I have to believe, that as they are breaking bread together, they are remembering what Jesus said. And they're remembering almost, I want to say, in almost every meal they share together as they broke bread of what that bread represents or who that bread represents. And that was the context of their entire meal, was remembering Jesus, who he was, what he did, and the example of love. And they would share that with one another. And they would share their lives with each other. The home, this is interesting too, that in this context, it wasn't about just gathering in a building or some place, but the home, the neighborhood, the, the street, if you will, became the best or the most used environment for ministry to take place. Things were happening in homes, not in buildings. Now today, you know, we have a building, we have a facility, we have grounds, but, but I want to let you know that doesn't exclude the importance of our homes, that our homes can be incredible settings and should be incredible settings of hospitality, of sharing life, of encouraging each other, of ministry, of living out our faith on our streets and in your condo, so the condo you live in and the, the apartment you live in, the building you live in. But those places are to be places where God's presence is known and experienced and life is shared together. So you can break these, their practices down into two categories, relationship with God and relationship with people. These people were devoted to persisted in learning, in sharing life with each other, in breaking of bread, and to prayer. And it's interesting to me to note what happened. What happened? They're doing all these things. They're learning. They're sharing together. They're breaking bread. They're sharing meals. They're encouraging each other. Uh, they're praying in different ways and with different people. So what happened? What, is there an impact beyond just them? And what Luke tells us is there was. In verse 43, it says, And everyone... Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. So God is showing up just like he was doing the miraculous through Jesus. Now as the Holy Spirit is poured out on all mankind, God is showing up and doing the miraculous through these disciples, through these apostles, through God's people. People are being healed. People are being set free. Sick people are being well. Lame people are walking. It's happening. As they are devoting themselves to these practices, God's showing up. And I believe, friends, today God still wants to show up. He still wants to heal. He still wants to set people free. He wants to show up through his people. It says this in verse 44, all the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. This isn't, they're not being forced to do this. This isn't being dictated like from the top down saying, you know what, you got to sell that and give it away. But there's this sense that on their own, they're willing to say, you know what? There's a brother or sister in Christ who has a need. We have this piece of property that we're not going to save for retirement. But we're going to sell it and give it to them. Give them the, they have a need. Now, I think you have to understand too, there was a practical issue that had to be, there was those practical needs. Remember, people from all around, uh, uh, Jews from all around traveled to Jerusalem for this feast. And when this all broke out, some of the Jews decided to stay in Jerusalem and not go back home. So now you have people that went basically camping who had just like, you know, some clothes to get there, supplies to get to Jerusalem and supplies to get home. But now they're like, you know what? We're staying. So there was this very practical need in Acts 2 to say, you know what? People have valid, they have needs, they need housing. So it's, it's like, let's open our house to them. And we're talking one room houses. Come and live with us. Well, you have a need, we'll sell this. We have this goods we can sell. So I think it was even beyond, but, but they're selling and they're willing to share what they have. It says every day, 
They gathered, they continued to meet together, share life in the temple courts. They're gathering to worship and to pray, and they're gathering there to learn in the temple courts. They broke bread. They're sharing meals together in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. That's an interesting phrase. The community of Jerusalem is watching this take place. They're watching people love each other. They're watching people uh, give to each other. They're watching people learn. They're they're seeing this take place in homes and neighborhoods. And this is a close-knit community. I mean, you you know your neighbors, and they know you. This isn't, you know, some of us live on streets, maybe we've never met our neighbors. But in this context, you know everyone that lives around you, and you're seeing this take place. And there is like this sense that the people looking in are saying, I want that. I want to be a part of this community. It's so attractive that they're saying, I want that. I want to, they have favor with the people. And many are added. Many respond. Many give their lives to Jesus because they're seeing God's people live out what they believe. And the Lord added to their number daily, daily, every day, those who are being saved. Imagine if God did that today. I believe he wants to. And are we people who are willing to say, you know, we're going to be intentional about developing a plan, allowing God to work in us so it has an impact with those around us. So here's what we want to do. I, just, I told you, we just didn't want to talk about this, but we want to give you a few moments. I just don't want to rush off and we will partake actually of communion today uh, here on the first Sunday of the new year. But I want to give us four questions. Four questions that are guides. These aren't the best questions. These aren't an exhaustive list. We could have 10, 20, whatever questions. But I want to just give us four. You can use these. You don't have to use these. These are just guides to help us think about the rhythms, the structure that will help you and I grow in our relationship with God and our relationship with others. This, this isn't something we're going to be done today, finished today. It's not something we rush through. I would actually encourage you to take the whole month of January and prayerfully consider these questions as you think about the trellis, the structure, how you plan to grow, intentionally grow this year. This isn't a one-size-fits-all. Husbands and wives, yours will maybe will look different than each other's depending on the season of life you're in. And again, I hope you don't feel like we're going to be controlled by these, like handcuffed by them. But I hope, honestly, it provides freedom and joy for you. And I want to say this is a living document. It's not done. It's not set in stone. But it's something that continually be evaluated. So here are the four questions. And we'll leave them up there. Here are the four questions. What are the spiritual disciplines you need this year to nurture your life with God? What is your plan? As you think about that question, what are your plans to read the Bible, to learn more about God? Maybe if you have been reading the Bible in a certain translation for um, a year, many years, maybe this year it's saying, you know what, I'm going to read a different translation. Maybe it's I'm going to read more of the Old Testament. I'm going to read more of the New Testament. Maybe it's reading other books, commentaries about the Bible. Maybe it's other practices of journaling or fasting. Maybe something you put on your calendar this year is a personal prayer retreat. You put it maybe a few months out so you can, you know, set things up if you have kids and all the work and all those types of things. But just to say, you know, this weekend or this day, I'm going to pray. I'm going to go somewhere and I'm going to pray. Never done that before, but this is what I'm going to do. As you think about prayer, obviously it's a very personal thing. We believe also it's to be a corporate activity. And maybe here at the beginning of the year, just thinking about our Wednesday night. Every Wednesday night at 6.30, we gather to pray. This year, we're going to pray through much of the year. We're going to pray through the Gospel of John together. So we're, gonna re- we're not going to go every, like, read all the cha- verses in every chapter, but we're going to take some verses out of each chapter and just use those to pray. We're going to pray through the Gospel of John. Maybe you've never been a part of a corporate prayer meeting. This is vital to what we do here at Hope Church. And maybe as you think of your plan, it's saying, I'm going to pray. I'm going to be a part of that. You even heard about the women's prayer event coming up here in, early in January. So maybe it's saying, I'm going to be a part of that. 
Second question, what are the relationships? Again, it's not just about a relationship with God. It has to be about a relationship with others. So what are the relationships do you need during this season of your life to support you on your journey? How are you going to be intentional about connecting with other followers of Jesus this year? We talked about the soup and scripture coming up here in a few weeks. That's an opportunity to grow, to connect with people. In a few weeks, we're going to talk about some small group opportunities. You're going to hear about some classes that will be offered. You're going to hear about different opportunities the men will have. So these are all opportunities to connect with others. How are you going to do that? What are the primary relationships you need to invest in? So during this season, so you think of your, like, your family, your close friends. Maybe it's resetting. How am I going to pursue my spouse this year? How am I going to invest in my kids? As they, we talked last week, they're, they're, going fa- they're growing fast. It's just a phase. Don't miss it. How are we going to invest in our kids and close friends, those at work, maybe they oversee? And then the last question is this. What are the gifts, passions, and burdens within that God wants you to express for the blessing of others? What are some things that God is like, you are just passionate about? And maybe this year he's saying, I want you to use that in this way. Maybe this is like a burden on your heart for a people group or a person or a people in a certain season of life. And that's just like something you can't shake. That's not coincidence, friends. Let's lean into that and listen and say, God, how do you want me to use this? And wait from the show. So, so these questions, again, we'll leave them up here for a few moments. They're also on the bulletin. Uh, there'll be an email coming out later on tonight, too, with the same questions. So you, like, you lose them or you're wondering what they are. And again, these are just a guide. You can use your own questions. But I want to give us just a few moments before we partake of communion to begin thinking about what will be the plan for us to develop our spiritual lives during this new year. Those who are helping serve communion, you can make your way back there if you guys want to start getting the elements ready. It's appropriate, even as we read about the disciples, the followers of Jesus there in Acts chapter 2, something they did on a regular basis was they broke bread. And when they broke bread, I believe they were remembering what Jesus said. On the night he was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance. Every time you do this, every time, remember. And I think he's saying, this is important. This is vital. Center your lives continually on this. And that's why we do it once a month here at Hope Church. We, it's not something we do just a few times a year, but every single month, this is important to us. It centers us, it grounds us, it anchors us in, in Jesus Christ, our relationship with him, his example for us to, what it looks like to love well and to live well. That's why we do it here again on this first Sunday of January. So I'm going to invite the the men forward with the elements. This is your first time at Hope Church when we've partaken in communion. I just want to let you know you don't have to be a member of our church or 
come here on a regular basis. We ask that to receive and take these elements that you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. We ask that you would hold on to it and just use these few moments. I don't know about you, but the moments we have where it's, it's kind of still and quiet are becoming less and less. So take advantage even of these moments, maybe to keep thinking about maybe one of those questions or plan, remembering the significance of Jesus coming to earth for us. And when we've all been served, we'll eat the bread together. we hold this symbol in our hands, we would be reminded that Jesus just didn't talk about love, but he showed it. His willingness to lay down his life for us so that through his death, we might live and live eternal. Let's eat the bread together this morning. free to pass the cups the cup today and again we just ask that you would hold on to the cup you receive until we've all been served and we'll drink together
part of that meal that Jesus shared with his disciples, he said these words to them, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. As we hold the cup in our hands, symbolic of his blood, we're reminded of how much he loved us. And as he said to his disciples, would we hear the words too, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And by this, as you love one another, all men will know that you follow me. Let's be encouraged to love people well this week as we've reminded of how much he loved us. Let's drink the cup together today. There'll be some baskets that'll be passed that you can put your cups in and the worship team's gonna lead us in a final song as we wrap up our service together today.
What a great way to begin the new year. As you reflected on those four questions, I wonder which of those four the Spirit just jumped inside of your chest and said, this is, this is a highlight question for you. At the close of the service, I'm going to ask the elders who are here in the service, if you would just come forward. If you would like to receive a blessing, just come up to one of them and say, question two, question four, whatever the Spirit of God just leaped up with inside of you and said, this thing, this thing. And you might not even be 100% sure why that yet. That's a perfect reason to come forward and say, can you pray a one or two sentence prayer over me uh, regarding this, whatever it is. Remember the parable of the four soils? There were three soils. Seed was scattered on all of them. Three of the soils, the seed never went anywhere. Only one. So if the spirit has jumped inside of your chest in some area today, come and seal that before the Lord and in prayer and make use of uh, one of the elders. I went and got my blessing at the close of the last service, and it was great. So take that opportunity. As I give the closing benediction, could I ask you, if you're comfortable enough, just to place your hands open to receive what God has for you in these closing moments. Some of you are going to have a great week this week. As you have your great week, do so with Jesus standing next to you. Some of you are going to have a humdrum, normal kind of week. So have a humdrum, normal kind of week with Jesus standing next to you. And some of you don't know it yet, but you are going to face some challenges and hardships this very week. So face those challenges and hardships with Jesus standing by your side looking for the deposits of his grace which are your life preservers. May the glory of God shine upon you and may the love that God has for you radiate through your very being. So go in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And together, let's say, amen. Amen. God bless.